Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sounds of the World podcast. Uh, that was a little sample from The Eyes of the World Are Upon You by our next guest. Um, she is currently located outside of West Texas, well, inside West Texas, I guess, but is originally from California. Often she's drawn towards subjects that are political or even provocative, um, which I really love. And her work, Prisoner of Conscious with Loretta's Kindle A, has been described as, quote, the ideal soundtrack and perhaps a bomb of our current toxic times uh, by Jay Oteri of the New Music Box. Her works have been performed by ensembles worldwide, including the Sydney Conservatorium of Music Wind Symphony, the Dulciana in Dublin, Ireland, the Soli Chamber Ensemble in Alba, Italy, and the Urban Playground Chamber Orchestra in New York. She's received many commissions from National Endowment for the Arts, the Mid-American Center for Contemporary Music, the Vermont Symphony Orchestra, uh, sorry, the Queen's Ensemble, and many more. She believes in a close relationship between the composer and the community with whom they collaborate. She has held residencies at Brevard, or Brevard College, geez, Central Michigan University School of Music, and the Album Music Festival in Italy. She also keeps a blog that ca- catalogs more than 100 rejection letters from competitions, festivals, and prizes, which is widely read and admired by professional musicians, including myself, though I'm not a professional musician. Um, she's currently on the composition faculty at the Texas Tech School and has been on the, the faculty at Interlock and Arctic Camp since 2015. Today we're going to talk to her about being a female composer in the band music world, being provocative in the arts, and why rejections should be celebrated. So please welcome Dr. Jennifer Jolly. Woohoo! Woo! Thanks for having me and uh, yeah, thanks for reading my blog, which um, I have been failing at oh. keeping active. Um, although I might as well break it on your podcast. Like I'm totally revamping my website right now. And I'm like, oh, I'm in a blog every week. So oh, I, okay. I, but that probably now means I'm not going to, I'll make it a new year's <laughs> resolution. I'll be like, I, I will write about things right. like, <laughs> <laughs> and I have like so many rejections that I haven't even posted yet. Um, which, oh, wow. you know, I guess if I'm like, Oh shit, I need to like write a blog post. I'll just put another rejection on there. But, um, well, I always figured that since there wasn't another composer fails, I was like, Oh, she's, she's just busy or she's got a, too many to, you know, she's got all these wins. So she doesn't have many fails. <laughs> it's, like, it's, oh. it's, um, I tried to adjust it to Instagram and then just like, I don't know. Can we, can we just blame it on COVID? Can we just oh, like, that's every, all I'm doing with 2020. Every, yeah. Why not? I think COVID <laughs> is an, ex, is a great excuse. I even had a student who like had legit, like COVID excuse, like legit COVID excuses. Like mm. a couple of my students got COVID this past semester. They're like, I don't want to blame COVID. I'm like, 
You can blame COVID. But you got it. But yeah. but you could blame COVID. Like yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. Like just just blame it on the COVID. Really. Yeah. I've been recovering from it and I'm like every time I get a brain fart at work, I'm like, I'm sorry guys, the brain fog is real. COVID brain sucks. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, I've read about that. And my students had that too. I was like, you can turn in things whenever. Like, I just don't know. I don't know how to teach during a pandemic. So right. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, thanks for mentioning the blog. Y'all, I promise I will, I will blog more often. Resolution is here. <laughs> Done. Check. Well, I had started that composer 100 days, compose for 100 days mm-hmm. hashtag. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I've got nothing else to do. I got laid off. Might as well, you know. And so I got like two weeks in and I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm just tired. <laughs> hundred days is a challenge. Holy crap. I know. I was like, no, yeah, that's not, that's like, that's three months, right? Like, yeah, more yeah. than three months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just only happen to know that because in Korean culture, like it's weird how they celebrate birthdays and I'm not really a hundred percent on how Koreans celebrate birthdays, mm. but I do know that they celebrate the hundred days. And my mom is like, yeah, you didn't die. You made it. <laughs> no, so there's like a hundred day celebration wow. and they wow. like put different toys. So it's like, we're going to see if they're going to be a smart kid or a rich kid or, or, or like a play, or class clown. It does. Yeah, pretty much. That's um, amazing. Oh my because God. Korea. Yeah. So you'll see if you want to Google that, they'll have like these cute, like hundred day old Korean babies and there's traditional outfits. And you know, like three months old kids they're like drunk babies so it's like a little right. drunk baby <laughs> just in, 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 in a korean outfit <laughs> and there's like these photos because like koreans are into photos mm. um <laughs> uh, and just to let your listeners know i'm half korean so i feel like i am somewhat an expert on this and so <laughs> if you are offended I, I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I will make fun of them because they make fun of my being like white, a little bit white. So, you know, we're all good. Well, I've noticed that on your Instagram, you've been doing a lot of Korean cooking and trying yeah. different dishes and things. And that's really, that's really exciting. I, mean, I I'm excited too, because I haven't like, I try to learn how to cook. I was actually um, talking to my sister-in-law about this my brother's wife and she's like oh did your mom teach you how to cook I'm like um she ended up taking over and cooking <laughs> out of the kitchen oh so she's me and <laughs> also well I, I get it like I respect my mom it's because like that's her domain that's like right. what she's an expert in and so it's like if I am starting to be an expert it's like no right I cannot do that so like <laughs> also like she I'd be like mom how do you make chapche she's like okay, you pour this and pour this. I'm like, mom, I'm half white. Like, I don't know what this means. Like, <laughs> like you need to give me measurements. Like, please. She's like, just, just do it. And I'm like, this is, this is not helping. So like, um, I love cooking. i love that. I got to make some Korean dishes. My mom being the Korean that she is, said that my pronunciation was completely off because Koreans <laughs> are the French of Asia. Right. I was like, mom, I'm I making pachon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also no accent. So I'd be like, Sundubu. She's like, no, no accent. And I'm like, does my accent suck? And she's like, no, like Sundubu or something. I'm like, for the, you guys can't see me, but it's like, I'm literally trying to like flat. put my hand like, flat like, so that I have no accent. Kind of like French has no accented. Right. <laughs> and I don't know. I get, again, um, I don't 
even speak Korean, but now I can like kind of read Hangul. So yay. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's almost completely phonetic, but they have annoying spelling rules like every single goddamn language. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah. It's like English, you know, I before E, except you know, with your neighbor and your foreign neighbor or you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like what? But I don't know. It's anyway. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get in touch with my ancestry, but we're Scots, so it's just mm. drink whiskey or scotch and and make shortbread, you know. So it's not that hard. <laughs> Look good I in mean, the kilt. I, that's about it. I, so. every now and then. <laughs> I, I like whiskey, scotch, and shortbread. Actually, hey. I was thinking about making shortbread for Christmas because I like butter. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> butter is my heart. <laughs> literally my heart live, yeah living in louisiana and my friend was like oh i asked him like okay so what do you do when you make your vegetables you know because like i know each area kind of has their own thing he's like mm-hmm. okay so you just put the beans in the pan i was like okay he's like and then add some butter i was like okay how much he's like i had like two sticks and i was like what holy <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like yeah just put in like you know a stick two sticks of butter put that in there put the beans in cook it till they're softish you know and then eat and I'm like and then all that extra <laughs> butter what what happens with that he's like oh you can like pour that on top of stuff and it's like i'm gonna it. die before i get my phd so <laughs> let's slow the butter down and we'll go you know, you know awesome. every time i cook my boyfriend's the native montana and i'm like Every time he's like, man, I've noticed these, th- like your dishes taste really good. I'm like, I use so much butter. So now he's like, notices. He's like, we're all oh, going to die. I'm like, but we're going to be happy as we go out because exactly. hell yeah, you are. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> no one's going to care about how little butter you ate when you die. That's yep. all I'm going to say. <laughs> the funny thing is like after a year and a half, he's like, this, this needs more butter. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. For My real. wife has been adding Tony's to everything, so. Nice. Nice. So it's been nice. So, yeah, butter um, and food. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we could just get back to you, Jen, and yes. <laughs> talk about you. Um, so maybe you could give us, like, a little bit of your musical background. I know you're from California, but, like, uh, do you come from a musical family? Did you play a lot of instruments when you were younger? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. So um, I don't come from a musical family, um, but I feel like because not to stereotype my Korean mom, but yeah, I was expected to learn the piano and the violin or bo- well, both. And I actually did learn the violin for a hot six months. And then <laughs> I did the math on how much practicing I had to do. So I've like learned like all the Suzuki method, like twinkle, twinkle, little star, go tell Aunt Rody. Um, but I also learned a tiny mariachi tune, which is just so ridiculous because like my skills are like terrible. Um, <laughs> and I kind of regret not playing the violin anymore because I feel like I could just have a little bit more string competency. Instead, I just try to like steal from a whole bunch of st- scores of like how to do that. But, um, <laughs> piano is my main instrument. I was actually always fascinated by it. So, um, just to make it clear, like my mom didn't say like, you're learning piano. Like, I think it was truly my instrument. I started piano lessons when I was six 
And uh, um, I wasn't really interested in composing music until I was in high school. I didn't think that that was a thing because um, as a young composer playing a whole bunch of fantastic piano literature, um, I thought all the composers wrote all the music like we're done with writing music, I guess. And uh, they were all they were all dead and they were all dudes. And so like yep. the idea of like having like a next door neighbor composer, community composer, just was completely non-existent or even like a living composer. So it wasn't until I um, went to high school and I went to um, I transferred high school to the Orange County High School of the Arts is now Orange County School of the Arts. OSHA is what they called it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I started the piano program, but the orchestral director there, Christopher Russell, was very much into new music. I do believe he studied composition as an undergraduate, went to Indiana to study conducting, but he was like all about new music all the time. And so like in high school, I would be like, wait, there is a John Adams and a John Luther Adams, right. mind blown. <laughs> um, and he, um, there's this uh, composer, I'm like blanking on the guy's first name, Kurtog piece um, oh, about yeah. like the death of his um, guitarist playing friend. And he's like, do you want to play Blowhorn in it? I'm like, yeah, that is metal. Um, not that I talk <laughs> like that as a 16 year old, but um <laughs> So like, I, I was like, I could be a composer and being from Los Angeles slash Orange County, um, I was like, oh, I can write for film scores. And, you know, I think everybody's going to have this experience again, where some Star Wars movie is in the theaters. And uh, <laughs> this is before the first three episodes. We're going to gloss over that. But um, they had the original <laughs> Star Wars in the theaters. And I'm like, I can write cool, like weird music if I wanted to like if I were doing sci-fi you know I can like scrape the piano pull some ligety shit you know whatever so I was just like I'm gonna I'm gonna do film composing um and that's kind of what tweaked my interest like officially like capital C composing um when mm -hmm. I was 16 years old um in hindsight I realized that I'd always improvise on the piano like I always thought that like I could make the music sound a little bit better yeah um and I just added notes like probably nine so I was probably like really into ninth like add nine chords <laughs> back in the day um and my mom would say that I was pretend practicing piano and that I didn't really practice piano and I think I think now I think she was like catching I was improvising but again like I just had no concept that improvising is composing music or creating music mm -hmm. um I think part of the reason why I thought maybe I could be a composer at the later high school ages is because I thought I had like no original ideas and so therefore mm -hmm. if I like wrote for film score, I would have a narrative. I can like think about character and development. Like it gave me ideas because obviously, right. obviously, quote unquote, I had no ideas <laughs> or or completely original ideas. So, so anyways, pardon me. Excuse me, drink. Okay, um, I went to um, so I got into the uh, USC University of Southern California composition program, which is like insane because it's like impossible to get in now. Like oh, yeah. I just I can't even imagine. Um, and they had a film scoring certificate and I was like, I'm going to be a film composer. And then midway through I was, um, because like I interned for a film composer and I realized you actually don't have a lot of creative control. It depends on the director, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just, I kind of didn't like that. And, uh, 
I was like, I think I'll do concert music. Uh, and actually, I was studying with Frank DeKelly at the time. This is when 9-11 happened. He's like, you might want to hold off on your decision. Like, don't make any big rash decisions right now. But he's like, okay, that's fine. So, um, so yeah, that's how that's kind of like how I got started, like writing concert music. Like it was wow. just I didn't realize this was something I could do. I was still very insecure as an undergrad, like the idea of writing large ensemble music. I was like, oh, my God, how do I even like deal with 60 people on stage? Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't I don't think I wrote my first large ensemble or like my first orchestra piece until I was 27 because I was like, what do I do? <laughs> um <laughs> It's just intimidating. And I, you know, I didn't play an orchestral, I didn't play an orchestral instrument. I didn't know like that the strings were the core of the mm. orchestra historically, even though I learned that in class, but you know, I was an undergrad. So I was like, what, what happened? I can do it. I mean, yeah. Done. I was just like, actually funny story. So my first orchestra piece, like I, I wrote it in grad school and it was okay. It's not bad. Uh, and Samuel Adler came to the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music where I did my graduate work and he uh, he listened to it. So I, I got selected to present this piece and he's like, do you hate the strings? And I'm like, <laughs> and there's a part of me that's like, you know, no string players really played my music at USC. Like they really hated the music. So maybe, maybe. <laughs> Maybe no, the strings, strings hate me. <laughs> maybe the strings hate me. No, I, uh, for those listening, like, I love the strings. I just, it was just a challenging time in my early 20s. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, writing that, like you, that was such a daunting task to think, okay, there's so many people on stage, you know, and then they divide up how, like, there's, how can you divide? There's so many divisions, you know, and then I remember. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until like my masters that are like, oh yeah. So do you want this divided up by stands or by person? I was like, by what? Like who? The what now? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if you're this? not a string player, you're like, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it wasn't until graduate school where things were like starting to sneak, like sink in, and then I was like, oh, it's also okay to like look at other scores and mm. and like copy. <laughs> It's their voicings like oh Beethoven's first symphony seems a lot like Haydn's stuff with the right. I was like oh oh <laughs> huh huh give me some of that I, I was like okay okay so it's okay it's okay yeah. so anyway oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah my first composition teacher was Tom Ritter George um, and uh -huh. I brought in some scores and he's looking at them and he's like, this is back when they had like the full huge sheets, you know, and I had like a huge oh, yeah. ruler yep. and I had to do it all by hand. Yep. Brought it in. Yep. He's looking at it. He's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so did you tell Stravinsky you stole that from him or <laughs> did you, uh, what about this part? Did you steal that from Mahler or did you just kind of show up? And I was like, uh, <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> but you gotta like change it um i could actually this okay so funny story um because he's he's probably gonna find out so speaking of the eyes of the world piece yeah um john curliano's um circus maximus
like my security blanket. Mm-hmm. Like I borrowed it from like the University of Louisville Library, and I was like, okay, John Creliano wrote a badass piece. Mm-hmm. He wrote it for UT. He wrote it for UT, and I need something big and bombastic. How do I voice that chord? So I may have, may have taken a chord of his, that like one of the really loud sections. I don't do the horns up because it's it's not that piece. Uh, <laughs> I did I did add saxophones and I like I changed it. I made it work for my piece. Right. Promise. But then like I realized when this piece premiered that uh, well UT goes on tour and then they. They flew out John Curliano and my piece had to follow his clarinet concerto. And the whole time I'm like, please, for the love of everything that is holy, don't recognize your chord. Don't recognize your, like, don't, like I'm sitting next to him during the premiere at CBDNA in 2017. And I'm like, please do not, do not catch on that I stole your cord, but added saxophones. I'm not gonna say I made it better because I also looked at that chord and I'm like, God damn it. What is with Stravinsky hating the saxophone? Mm. And John Corleano has this big ass chord and is not using every single member in the wind ensemble. But anyways, I just thought I'd share that. And also um, I would be very intimidated if my comp teacher was like, I knew where you stole that and you stole that and you stole that. I'd be like, uh, but oh I, yeah yeah it was terrifying i'm sorry <laughs> and this was a little town in idaho and i was just like okay oh. okay that's cool he's like but it's okay we're gonna fix it and we're gonna make it you and i was like okay <laughs> see i would like see if i had a student i'd be like oh honey you're looking at scores and you have good taste awesome right. <laughs> okay we're gonna fix that like you know what i mean i'm like the like I, i'll help you um anyway yeah i mean you you have to learn somewhere so right yeah you do oh Oh, yeah so was it i mean i have to know just out of pure curiosity was it just um terrifying to study with to kelly so funny story like i didn't know who he was right so like i went to usc wanting to study composition uh, like a lot of my music teachers uh, end up going to grad school at USC because again, I'm from the LA area. Right. Um, and I, I knew that some of my friends were like geeking out about him. So like, mm. I had a friend who auditioned for the comp program and asked for Frank to Kelly's autograph at the end of the interview. And I'm like, okay, that's a weird move. <laughs> like part of me is like, oh, mm. cause right. Like if somebody asked for your autograph when you're trying to like, yeah anyway anyways but i was like okay um i didn't realize how big to kelly was until once he said um that he went to the rose parade and that he was invited to the rose parade Mm. um the rose parade is uh one of my favorite parades because it's like a new year's parade and they have the the floats and everything but i was under the impression that if you're a plebeian you camped your ass on colorado boulevard in pasadena and froze because you know it's very dry in in LA and you had your sleeping bag and you like parked like you parked yourself on that street to get a good seat mm-hmm. you camped out there like I remember um 
when I was in middle school, my, I had middle school friends who were like, do you want to go to the Rose Parade? And my parents said, no, because you're outside. And yes, we know that you're going with parents, but like you're sleep, you're literally sleeping on the street. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So to Kelly is like, he's like, yeah, I was invited to the Rose Parade and I brought my daughter, Hannah. And uh, yeah, so I drove up and they had a parking spot for me. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like somebody. <laughs> like he did, like he slept in his own bed the wow. day before the parade. <laughs> right, right. And I know he lives in Pasadena, so it probably wasn't like that bad of a drive. But I was just like, you didn't have to okay like you're invited and then, and like even to kelly himself was like oh and they had a place for me like and i was i'm like again my my uh, undergraduate brain was like holy shit yeah. we didn't have to <laughs> camp out and deal with like drunk people silly string you know like it's parade time so um so it wasn't intimidating and in fact um another thing that i find fascinating in my time studying with him was that um, he actually saw his band composing kind of different than his other like serious composer. Like he believed oh. in like this two hat system, um, which some composers have done, you know, in a way, um, I don't want to say he siloed himself, but I think that's how it was at the time where it's like a band composer was seen as someone different than like other types of music. And mm -hmm. so, um, he, like I knew he was a band composer, but I also knew, knew that he wrote other music too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he did approach this. Uh, we had this class called Composition Forum where he had guest composers and we talked about like other compositional stuff. Mm -hmm. And he says that, yes, um, I'm, uh, you know, I write for bands. I write for, for kids. And I remember he said that, that he's like, yeah, and there's a lot of shit out there. And he's like, that's part of maybe that might be the reason why like I'm, I'm pretty good at writing music pedagogical music but he's like but I wear two different hats and so mm. here's my band hat and here's my other hat and so um I never saw him as a band composer I just saw him as a composer right you know that's interesting um yeah and he also taught this class that um Bill Bolcom taught when okay. he was at Michigan, like this, this poet and composer class and to Kelly started it at USC. So the first time he taught that class, I taught it. So I'm like seeing to Kelly as somebody who writes for choir, as someone wow. who writes for orchestra. I think um, he got asked to orchestrate Blue Shades, um, you know, so I, that's, I guess that's why I was never really intimidated. He's super down to earth. I think he's a great pedagogue. Um, but yeah, I guess I just didn't know. I was just unaware, but he was just my composition professor. He's Dr. Kelly. Right. He gets gigs. He's a professional composer, has his own little, you know, um, composition studio out in the back, like Mahler. Um, <laughs> and he happened to live in Pasadena. So I know, I knew that he was doing okay. He was, right, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I could I could put two and two together, but it wasn't um, as no, it was great studying so with him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I I I had thought about oh, maybe I'll apply there, but then I just got too intimidated. I was like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I'm way too shy for that. <laughs> I, it, like to be honest, it's just like it's an insane studio. I really. Oh, I'm sure. I don't. I I mean, it was a different time then. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just like one of the most competitive um, composition 
programs. Um, and, you know, rightfully so. I would say that it also, it's probably like the best undergraduate program, to be honest. Um, I'm a little biased. Um, Y'all can <laughs> at me. That's fine. It's like, whatever. It's 2020. What else do we have to do in our lives? You know? Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't blame you. Like, if I were applying now, I'd be like, yeah, no. Yeah. Like, this is is not happening. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so was it at um, USC or Cincinnati that you really started kind of getting more politically active with your composing? Um, or is that like a right, post? Let's, let's like dig into that. I, I mean, um, I would definitely say after USC, I do remember once um I was watching a Michael Moore documentary and I think I go uh, into a little bit detail on a new music box post if your listeners want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but I remember watching a um, documentary about like the, the Gulf War with mm -hmm. uh, um, George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. And after watching that film, um, I was just enraged because I was like, what is even the point of being a composer? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know how to help out. I think there is a correlation now. I think a lot of us creators may have gone through some kind of like crisis, right? Um, especially with COVID where we're like, what does writing a string quartet really do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, does it really help? You know, and a little bit of an existential crisis. So mm -hmm. um, I would say the good news is obviously we have consumed a lot of music and Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> for the past months. Um, I really, you know, like, and I, at least I come from a place now that knows that we, we as a race, we as a species cannot live without art and we cannot live without music. That's right. just, mm -hmm. just never going to happen. Um, but I was much younger. I was like 22, 23 years old being really uh, like livid. And I just didn't know um, like why I wanted to be a composer. Um, and I guess, uh, and over the years, um, I've come to learn that that's just, that's just how I exist. That's how I express myself. And, you know, I've always been drawn to um, putting emotion and narratives in my music, you know, hence like wanted to be a film composer. And then like, I wanted to write an opera. <laughs> <laughs> I still do actually. I mean, I'm just a little crazy, but um, you know, I always want a story to tell. Yeah. I always, um, I always want a kind of in a, in a selfish way. I want people to know how I feel about things. And, you know, I, I say like, I'm a citizen of the world and I read and I'm aware. Um, and I have, and I have feelings and opinions about things. And so I've, I felt like probably after watching that Michael Moore film that I wanted to do something with my music. And it took me a few years to realize that I can do these things with my music, that my music mm in a way is also kind of like not just a service to my profession, but, you know, a service to my audience too. Mm -hmm. um, and that I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't write about stuff that interests me or that I, that I felt strongly about. Like I'm, I'm not one to write music for music's sake. Like that's great. But like at the same time, like, I don't know, I only have so many ideas. I'm getting older. So I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> just like, you're not much older you know? than me so no I just I don't know I feel like I don't know maybe I should just like be like it's okay 
that I get tired that I start turning into a pumpkin at eight but like at at the same time like maybe I'm a lot of fun since we're talking after 8 p.m it's cool (laughs) you relate so hard to this (laughs) I totally dressed up for this no everybody I'm in leggings I've been in leggings since March so you know but I've washed them hey promise you're doing you're doing what you need to do I I am doing what I need to do thank you You're still getting stuff done, you know, so. I mean, I, at least like I, I found the, the will to like shower every day, but, but it's okay if I don't shower, I've had to tell myself that it's okay. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So to answer your political question, like it's just, I, I I guess they always have like a, a political stint to them. Um, but I'm also interested in things that interest me. So um, with the Eyes of the World piece, it, it came from, you know, reading this news article about the 50th anniversary of the tower shootings. Um, I was originally supposed to write a piece in honor of Jerry Junkin. So I'm thinking like, this needs to be cool. It needs to be amazing, like no pressure. Um, and then I read this piece and I'm feeling like, a lot of emotions about it like mm-hmm. i am angry yeah i'm frustrated especially because of the whole open carry thing like i was a professor during that time like i would feel unsafe and i was led to believe that uh places of learning are safe spaces mm-hmm. um and i understand it's a cultural thing again i'm not a texan but like you know you talk to texas it's like you know it's a very much a, a state of like independence right right you know and 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 their freedoms and so um so i just i was like obsessed and i couldn't stop thinking about it um and i actually felt like i needed to clear it with ut before i proceeded because i didn't expect to write about this topic whatsoever mm-hmm. like not my plan it's supposed to be something cool whatever right. that was supposed to be <laughs> you know um <laughs> so yeah Guess, guess how it is. I guess I'm writing political stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that we're, we're drawn to things, um, you know, and you just, you have to express it. And for some people it's talking, for some people it's writing poetry and for other people mm-hmm. like us, it's love, it's getting our emotions out in, in music and Sonic world, you know, and yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's very, I know for me, I always felt very relieved when I had that deep emotional investment into it. Mm-hmm. And if it was kind of just like a, a one-off kind of situation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I can, I, I feel like, I mean, I feel all your works are very well masterfully crafted. Um, and, but there's some that really just kind of like stick out and maybe because it's me and I'm drawn to those kinds of things but uh you know like the eyes of the world and you know these very kind of politically charged pieces uh I feel they they at least affect me much deeper you know than some other pieces you know mm. like well, thank the, you. even listening to like Miss Lanka he, he was never a, a very political person you know mm-hmm. but some of the pieces he wrote uh like the children's garden or the child's Mm -hmm. garden um that when i first heard that piece i mean i was just blown away you know and to hear how it was related to his own father's passing 
-hmm. it just is at that same time I had lost my grandfather and oh. it's like all these things kind of mix and connect it's you know it's you a know, solace for people so yeah I would say like um, I think one of the most flattering um, compliments I got was I wrote this piece called Ash Um, and I didn't think it was necessarily anything special, but like, I really felt really proud of that piece. I felt like it was me. Right. And, um, the, the person who commissioned it or was the lead commissioner was Eric Lung. He was like, this reminds me of Maslanka. And I think what makes Maslanka so relatable was that he was true to himself. Yeah. I realized that, um, I remember when I was like in my early 20s, I was like, oh, like how do these composers have their pieces last for a long time? Yeah. Like, was, was it because they tried new things? Was it artful, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was reading The Rest is Noise and uh, Alex Russ is talking about Stravinsky and how Stravinsky wrote, um, oh no, I'm blinking, um, Symf Symphony of Psalms. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I guess Stravinsky was having a little bit of, I wouldn't say a crisis, but he was having like a renewal to his like culture of religion, especially I think mm. his wife was not well. And so the thing was, I think what makes that piece great besides, yeah, it's Stravinsky and he did some interesting things like not have violins and want anything like conflicting with the voice is that he wrote something that was true to him. Mm -hmm and personal like you know what i'm saying was truthful oh, yeah. um and i think that's what miss lanka did in his music was he was just very truthful in himself you know and mm -hmm. he wrote his music mm -hmm. and i think that's that's why we, we like like miss Lanka as much as we did i think that's why his music will last because it's not about writing music to like you know if it's well crafted you know of course we right. okay you all know this yeah. you all want good like i'm not gonna I'm not going to put out shit music as long as I can help it, <laughs> but like it was true to him. And so um, I remember after reading that, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to write music that I like, I know that I'm my first audience and that's okay. Right. Like right, right. I, I, uh, <laughs> there, I remember as an undergrad, there were some pieces where I was like, Oh, I do not like this, but yet I would just like push it through, you know, like, yeah. Oh, but like I spent so much time and I want to be like young Jen, break it off yeah <laughs> break it up break up um so just writing music that's like honest i think that's like my goal and so so thanks for saying that about my pieces like i never thought i'd again i never thought i'd write a piece about like the first campus shooting but i also never thought it would have such an impact on people um mm -hmm. so thank you very much thank no you. i mean thank you uh, that's I don't know. It's it's music. You know what I mean? It's it, it's such a oh yeah important feature in humanity. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed. I I had my first listen to it today, and I I, I like to do this thing where I listen to the piece first, and then I like to go read the program notes. And about at the the point near the piece when it just gets intense, and like I was like, oh my god, this is real. This is raw. What happens right here? And then I read the program notes and was like full body chills like had the oh shit moment was like i gotta listen to this again like oh just 
just it's real and it's raw and it's I think like you said those are the pieces that stick with you and sink into your bones and you want to have another listen and you can just get that glimpse at you know like you said it, it's good to have the pieces that are well crafted and but craft isn't everything there's got to be an element plus craft it's craft mm -hmm. plus real raw emotion and yeah very good. <laughs> well, thank you. Again, that's that's very flattering. Um, and again, thanks to John Corleone's uh, Circus Maximus for um, <laughs> terrible person. I, I, I think actually another question that some people ask is like, how do you write about these like terrible subjects, like heinous subjects? Mm. And I think there's a part of me that like, I mean, I'm not making light of the situation whatsoever, but at the same time, I think I've had to use humor to cope. So I think probably I was like, okay, this is a terrible part, you know, um, but please, John Corleone, do not realize that I've stolen your court. Like, I, I guess I try to like <laughs> divert my own attention to like right. something yeah. that's not as terrible. Uh, so, uh, but anyways, thank you. Thanks, thanks for listening in the first place, and and then thanks for all those <laughs> kind words. Yeah, at LSU we had a composers forum, and mm -hmm. uh, I presented some of my pieces to the students, and they were like, I asked for questions afterwards, and I never said, "Do you ever write any happy stuff, or is it always <laughs> sad and minor?" You know, and it's like. There's there's a major section in there. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But, you know? <laughs> but D minor is the saddest of all chords, you know. So <laughs> when I was here in my undergrad, my composition professor was like, "Are you just profoundly depressed?" And I'm like, I'm "Like, I mean, isn't everyone a little depressed?" <laughs> like, I, I want to like, be like, I have, I have to find a way to express it. Like, yeah, like we're composers. Oh no, once my roommate in college asked if I was sexually frustrated based on the music I was writing. Um, the answer is probably yes. I think we all could have gotten laid more we often, all. but like, um, yike. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, I know I wrote like one piece that uh, I really kind of dove myself into and then the director was like, so what? made you write this is like oh it's getting divorced you know and that's <laughs> the impetus that's it <laughs> i mean actually okay so i might now i guess we're like so removed so um so i've been divorced and actually um, when i was writing the eyes of the world like i think things were like wrapped up by that time but mm. like yeah it, you're healing Right. You know, it's, it's a process. It's like, um, it's great. You go through a period of grief for, for those who don't know. And I hope that none of you all ever have to go through one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but Especially a it was, bad one. Oh God. Um, so <laughs> that that's probably for another time, but anyway, um, so I had a, um, like one of the TAs was like, I feel like this piece is about grief and about like, it goes through the stages of grief. And I'm like, actually, I never thought of it this way, but just FYI, this is like on Facebook messenger. I was like, actually, you know, I just, you know, personal stuff. And he's like, oh, dang. And I was like, this is, this is very interesting that you, you thought this was like the stages of grief of like denial and, and anger. And, and then it just ends calmly. And I was like, 
Wow. I mean, I probably <laughs> didn't want to go. Like, part of me is like, I'm glad you're not my therapist. I'm going through therapy. Thanks right. for observing this. I'll tell you because you too have gone through a divorce to, you know, to this other person. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I think it affects you just a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. He later asked me to present it to this undergraduate research thing. And, and they're like, so, and I had to tell them why I wrote it. And they were like, oh, wow, okay. And then they like sent me a note later and they're like, just the fact that you're so raw and like open about that, you know, it's like more people need to experience those kinds of things. Well, not experience it personally, but at least the <laughs> yes, emotional. So we're clear. Yeah. Yes. No, it, make <laughs> your relationship last, but <laughs> as long as it's healthy. Um, it's a great, great right. tool for expression and yeah. And- feeling that and feeling your feelings and which I know a lot of us struggle with anyways um yeah just because the society we're in but yeah so I think we three composers have um we've been pretty healthy it's okay (laughs) it's great um so um, I mean at least we're not completely drunk out on the street or something you know right so the alternative is me like running around naked in the gutters so (laughs) down by the river no I'm down by the river down by the river oh yeah so speaking of just being kind of open and raw about things um composer fails and we briefly talked about it in the beginning uh but like how did how did this come up and i know i know like for those who have read it and it's a major like oh good i'm not the only one that has to deal with this you know (laughs) So. <laughs> I mean, I, I realized um, because of maths, um, we're in the majority. There are a lot of us who get those same rejection letters. But um, <laughs> to be to be serious for a moment, I feel like it was kind of my therapy in grad school. Mm. So um, I hate the age limits in our field. And oh. it's not just our field, but I think actually any creative field, like they're trying to figure out like what makes a young composer, um, I think inexperienced would be a better word, but it has that terrible connotation. But yeah. like the cutoff is like, you're 30 and I'm like that's not old plus like I took time off in between schools so there was like you know four years where I couldn't apply for things as a student composer I'm glad they've changed that so like um I like I was happy to turn 30 but I was like dude I have not one shit like I have not done anything so Mm. I was like you know I'm gonna apply for everything and I'm gonna post my rejection letters online so it was like a big like finger yes I'm flipping flipping the double deuce right now for those (laughs) and my like lovely painted red nails I'm throwing throwing the birds uh plural um so I um so it's like I'm just the <laughs> we're not that mean <laughs> not that mean um so so yeah it was like therapy like it was a little cathartic where i'm just like screw it i'm just gonna post these rejection letters online um my same college roommate who asked if i was sexually frustrated um actually was an avid stra- scrapbooker at that time oh, okay. and i remember getting my very first bmi student composer rejection letter and mm. i was like i should make this pretty like scrapbooking pretty and so my roommate was like I have some acid free paper here you go um turns out that scrapbooking is an art and that my first scrapbooking attempt of my rejection letter 
was not great. It was like soccer <laughs> things. And like, there's like these punch things. So I'm like, do I punch hearts? Like, I don't even, you know, it turns oh. out you need to like, I don't know, like rule do rulers and actually like care about placement and, and ratio. I don't know. Um, I wish I still had this because I would frame it. I don't know where it is. Um, it's, it's gone, but, um, the idea of posting, uh, my rejection letters online was to kind of like scrapbook them in a way digital a digital scrapbook and then also um and i'll give my ex credit which was like to keep um a, like a website constant like the thing is composers can't like crank out tunes every week i mean i guess you can but they'd probably be shitty yeah. or at least mine would be let's mine just be real be. clear right <laughs> so like i didn't want my website getting like dust so i was like well this gives me something to post because i'm actually getting more rejection letters than I am creating pieces. So that's mm. actually why, like, and I say like flippantly, like why compose when you can blog? Cause it's like, obviously I'm not composing right now if I'm spending <laughs> so much time, like scouring the internet for like cat pictures to like accompany <laughs> my rejection letters, you know? And right. um, I think, uh, yeah, they're mostly emails, but like, it still takes time. So, um, so that's how the blog started. Um, I never thought it would have a following at all like who who would follow that right. shit like it was not even it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't meant it, to be one of those things it wasn't it wasn't meant to like boost my career um which i'd like to think that i i have a good career because i write good music and not because of my rejection letters um i'm gonna cross <laughs> my fingers on that but um but yeah, no, I, I didn't know people were reading it until like, I think like a couple of years later, I had a friend who's like, oh yeah, I have a friend in Wyoming or one of the Northern states. And was like, and, and, and they really love your blog. I'm like, how does this person in Wyoming slash North Dakota, I don't remember where this person was from. Like, I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> it was, it's, it's, it, in a way it's still strange to me that I got a following for my rejection letters. Yeah. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm thankful that I cataloged them because now that I, you know, I'm a professor person and I have students and then um, I'll have some occasional students who are like, how do I win competitions? And I'm like, dude, no, you can't ask me that. Like, <laughs> I don't, don't think I'm the right person to help answer your questions. And I have internet proof of it. Like you just, <laughs> Now, ironically, like I've actually now judged some competitions. And so I'll know, like, you should probably make your score pretty because right. I'm great at that now. Wasn't great at it back then, but like, oy, but score. at least I can tell my student. Yeah. Clarity of score. Um, good recording now. Like it's getting harder and harder. Um, but, but at least I can say like, look this, like I'm doing okay in life, like, but here's how many rejections I have. Um, so I'm happy to help you deal with it. That's cool. I can't help you win. Can't guarantee that. Like, yeah. that's just how that is. So, um, so yeah, that's the story of my, uh, I guess we'll call it a fail blog, the hashtag composer. fail, yeah. <laughs> the composer fail. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, I remember reading some of them and I was like, oh, I've got my own like set, you know? And at mm -hmm. that time I was applying for master schools mm -hmm. and then later on doctorate programs. Mm -hmm. And 
I would get a letter in the mail and I'm like, oh, okay, it's from this school. And I'd like open it up and it'd be like, we regret to inform me. And I'm like, ah, okay. And then I started like <laughs> collecting a pile of them, you know, cause you know, you throw as many nets out as possible, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I was like, you know, all those, I see all these offices or rooms of professors or big composers and they've got pictures of like, them with Bernstein or you know whoever and you know all their degrees lined up on the wall and I was like I'm just gonna have all of these rejections up on the wall just so like (laughs) do it I can be ah see you didn't think I was going anywhere you said I wasn't going to be worthy you know (laughs) oh my god this reminds me like okay I've only heard about this installation I'll have to ask my spouse the name of this artist but I think like this um this woman like got dumped by her boyfriend or something like that and so she like wrote it like rejection letters back to him but like put them on a wall I'm messing up the story but like the idea is to reclaim it because it's like I think actually one of my first rejection letters on my blog was like I applied to Yale like everybody did and everybody got rejected from Yale and just the anticipation where you get this email and it's not even email that said we regret to inform you they're like the results of yeah. the email of, of your application click <laughs> on this link and I'm like oh my god is this is this a thing and then it was like fine right <laughs> fuck you Yale fuck you um you know um so so um oh, yeah. yeah just just to own it oh I forgot one more thing was um another impetus of the rejection letter blog was um there's a sound artist composer named Trimpin Hmm. Who's like my favorite person? Um, he's a mechanical genius. He's actually from this town in Germany that invented cuckoo clocks. So like his mechanical um, <laughs> aptitude is like phenomenal and he create these sound art pieces. Um, and so like he had a whole bunch of rejection letters. So he, I remember once like the in the document, he goes, he's like, oh, this is my fuck you file. He like pulls out the straw. I'm like, what? He's like, Guggenheim, fuck you. Uh, this, fuck you. Like, so he filed his rejection letters. I'm like, this is the most amazing guy I've ever like seen. So um, I, for those of you who are listening, check out Trimpin. Check out his documentary. And check out his fuck you, uh, fuck you, Guggenheim. Like, I, 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 this is my sad impression of a German guy saying, fuck you, Guggenheim. Um, yeah, so um, I, I think strength in numbers and we can support ourselves. And I think the, the lesson here is to keep trying and also know like when it's like right for you. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure like the all three of us, like we probably used to apply a lot more things than we do now. Now we're like, do I have to mail it in? Yeah, no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Um, oh, and then you hear the whole stories. Yeah. How much is the fee? Oh, right. God. I remember when I was in, I did my grad school over in England and there was a, I think it was like the international film score competition. And I was all excited because I was like, I can mail this from England because it's only to Belgium. And like, looking back, I'm like, I will never enter that competition again. It's so expensive to mail it. It's so expensive to pay the fee. Like, <laughs> You're like didn't even enjoy the contest (laughs) yeah yeah so so I think like we get more savvy or we get to know like what we're good at you know what I mean so um so anyway (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I think it's inspiring because, like, when you're first getting, or at least for me, when it was like, when I got my first rejection letter, I just was crushed because there's like part of you that's like, okay, I got, maybe like someone else will think I'm as as good as I maybe kind of think I am because everyone has that ego that's like, oh yeah, like because you have to, otherwise you don't do anything, and it's just like so crushing to be like, nope, they think I'm shit. <laughs> like, oh, okay, do yeah. we have to do this again? Like, oh no, like. I was so excited when I saw, like, I think Bill shared your post on Instagram and I, like, saw this and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Why have I not been just taking this approach of, like, not giving a fuck? This is amazing. Well, let me tell <laughs> so you all. So yeah, thank you. Um, it's taken me years to not give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Uh, like, because I remember how painful that was. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. so painful. Um. Just, I can't, I can't even describe it. It's just, I just remember being really down. It's just like the worst yeah. feeling. Like shame mixed with like sadness with a little bit of anger. It's like a, it's a, it's a concoction of like emotions that are just like terrible and, and yucky for lack of a better word. But like, um, and that's why I said when I first started doing it, it was like three free therapy because oh wait, Obamacare didn't exist when I was like <laughs> younger than 28. Like, um, so uh so so yeah, I think when when like younger composers and performers, right? Because it's just rejection is just so universal. <laughs> They're like, How do you deal with it? And I'm like, I'm gonna tell you right now that at first I really did not deal with it well. <laughs> and that's what happened with my blog. Um and I, I tried to like at first I would say that my blog made it seem like I was okay. Like I yeah. it was definitely a fuck you. I think on my blog it more seemed like no fucks to give which mm. is a term that didn't exist when I first started this blog, but it right. stung. It's still stung. Oh yeah. And, um, and again, with the impetus being like trying to win something by 30 and not really doing it. And in fact, I think I was, I was like on my blog, I was like, I'm going to try to get a hundred rejection letters before I'm 30, which didn't yeah. work out either. <laughs> um, actually, and a funny story, this reminds me, I think like one of my first Midwest clinics that I went to, like John Mackey's like, Hey, so if you paid me money, I can write you rejection letters for you to reach your hundred. Get out of here. Cause he's, he's like, I don't, are you going to make it? I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was like, yeah, that, that's like John Mackey humor right there. But um, yeah. So I, I mean, it, it blows. I think like it gets better. <laughs> it gets better with age. Um, but so now it's like, okay. Like, I now apply for things where I'm just like, I'm, I'm not, it's not happening. Like, I think I applied for one thing because a good friend of mine, mentor was like, just apply. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to get it. I'm not. He's like, but just, I'm like, I'll do it for you because you're like an awesome person. And you said yourself that this organization does not accept people like me. But okay, I will <laughs> add to that rejection letter pile. Like now it's okay, but like when you're younger, it just it's the worst goddamn feeling. It's so oh, personal. Yeah. It's just uh, I well, don't want to relive that. And I was like you, I you know I had a bit of a break in between my in my undergrad, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I was just like okay, finally got off, like got back into school, and I was like okay. 
I know what I'm going to do with myself now. I want to be a composer. I want to be a professor. And I just like dove right into getting the rest of my grad, my undergrad. I was like, I'm going to apply to these schools. Got by reject, got rejected by every single one except one. And the other one was like a maybe, but you got to take mm -hmm. these remedial courses, you know? And then I started hearing, oh, there's age limits on, on competitions. And I was like, I just what? started. How can there be an age limit? It's like, what? You know, and then, yeah. and then I found out, oh, well, sometimes some go to like 35. I was like, I'm, I'm literally two years away from this. What, how, what, you know? Yeah, no, I like that's frustrating to me, especially because like, we're now in an age where like gap years are okay. And in fact, encouraged, right? Like with like 18 year olds whose like brains are not fully developed yet. No offense to anybody who's listening. It's just facts. Okay. Your brain's <laughs> not really fully developed until you're like 22, 23. Um, yeah. But like, I remember like my, my former professor, Stephen Hartke was like, I think you should take some time off from school. And I think he knew I was like super burnt out. I was super stressed, you know? Um, and I've taught those students who've taken time off and it's like, I don't want to say like they're more mature, but I'd say focus, like Bill, like mm. what you're saying, you're like, I know what I want to do in my life. Right. And I, I think it makes a world of difference. So yeah. then it's like, why are we encouraging, especially like with creatives, right? We're not like athletes right. where we burn out at like 25 or like dancers who have to like do it all now. Right. right. Like I just, it just, it was, it, yeah. it was sending mixed messages. I'm glad that we're a little bit more okay with that now and that they're getting rid of ages kind of it's not complete but like and yeah. you're talking about like the so, the so-called atypical student and let's be real there are different types of students and there are different types of learning and different life trajectories mm -hmm. you know um like we're not gonna have the same past we'll have similar ones but anyway sorry i'm just going on a rant here because oh, no. like, i feel you that's what we love that's what we love so. I, I i feel you because like again as now that i'm like i'm a professor you know like an educator but like i think all the time about like well what it, what am i teaching my students what do they want to learn and I think having life experience as a composer, I think is very important. And that's something I did listen to my professor and I, mm. and I don't regret it, but let me tell you, like with those age caps, I was like, what the absolute fuck? It yeah. sucks. Well, right? then you have the other extreme where they're like, no age cap, but you can apply if you're professional or not. I'm like, well, if yeah. it's professional, then I have to go against these people who have won all these other awards, you know, and now I'm fucked anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Actually, like I have this, um, like one of my students is like super ambitious, which I love. And they're like applying to things and I'm like, okay, so professionals apply for this. Like I wanted to be like, with my mind, I probably should have been more clear. I'd be like, I was going to apply for this. Please don't take it. You know what I mean? But so like, I, I think was that the, um, what's that one with national stardust, like the Hildegard competition. I oh, really yeah. liked what they did, which is they're like, this is who we define as a professional you know, if you, exactly. if you've received a commission over $5,000, you cannot apply. And I'm like, I like that yeah. because that's on age cap at the same time. I was like, um, I was actually proud of myself that I couldn't apply for it. I was like, all right. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. in a way that like leveled the playing field. Right. And so, um, I think maybe that's the way to go of like, just your organization just needs to figure out what, a pro what defines a professional composer that's not based on age 
yeah. but more like based on experiences or, or opportunities that have been given to you. And I think right. that might be the, the, the better way to go. So yeah. Well, cause like I, yeah, I was literally thinking about this yesterday. I was like, Oh my God, I'm hit, I'm going to hit 30 soon. I'm a little younger than you guys, but it was like, my first thought was like, Oh shoot, I'm going to start running out of things I can apply for because I'm going to hit that stupid age limit. And it's, I don't know, like, I always felt this, so I entered music late, like, I went into engineering originally, mm-hmm. um, did a year of that, then decided, like, screw this, I'm gonna do a 180, and, like, I think I want to do a composition, I was, like, you know, I was, like, I didn't know this was a thing, <laughs> I discovered that you could. True story, <laughs> no, lots of students, actually, lots of them, so, yeah, no, this sounds, actually, I've heard that more often than you think. I know, which is sad. <laughs> But it's like I had I had all this like shame and guilt for being like, oh, God, you know, I didn't start this when I was six, so it's never going to work out for me. And like, I don't know, there's just that like it's taken me a long time to just finally get that attitude of like, I'll figure it out on my own goddamn time. And it doesn't matter if I'm 40, maybe my best works are going to come when I'm 50. I don't care. Like, that's totally fine with me. And I don't think I need to be beating myself up for not being this like child, teenager, 20 year old prodigy. And <laughs> Right. Oh, and like, here's another thing we're not talking about. Like, we're just living longer as humans. COVID right. aside, we're right. living longer. It's not like, you know, I, I uh, like, I mean, Grant, we don't know how long we're going to live, but in general, it's not like there's a timetable. We have more time to our disposal in theory. So like, why rush it? Why, 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 why? I wouldn't say rush, maybe like why force it? Right. Um, And, and also as a side, and you, you all would probably understand this as a composer. I hope that I write better pieces when I get older. Like, I don't want to regress. Like, that's like my fear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm writing, I'm writing a piece right now. um, And it's due at the end of the month. And it's been, uh, it's been hard to motivate myself to write it because it's a large ensemble piece um, for Michigan state. And I've been thinking a lot about this piece, but I'm like, when are we even rehearsing? And Mm. like the other day I had one of those moments where I was like, oh shit man <laughs> so right. i'm hoping tomorrow it'll be better yeah. i'll be like it's not as bad as you think jen i'll be like oh, okay well i gotta i gotta finish it but anyways um yeah no i'm i'm glad you found composing there are a lot of students who like didn't re- they don't realize it's a thing because we we don't know we didn't know it was a thing like it's right. I, I relate to your story not the engineering part my dad was an engineer and and uh I guess we're similar, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah dad, no, it's <laughs> awesome. Now I'm curious, what kind of engineer is your dad? Um, petroleum. Interesting. Okay, my dad was an electrical engineer, but anyway, ah. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Now. I know I they're just, different. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I used to like walk into so when I was at Tech. Um, there's like a nine nine guys to one girl ratio pretty much and so anyway so i could just like you get to the point after my first year i was like that guy's mechanical these assholes are petroleum like you just start no it's um (laughs) no it's it's the stereotype is alive and well it's it's, uh well same in music right those are trumpet players that's a saxophonist that's a vocalist that's a bassoonist that's the composers that thing's weird (laughs) in the corner (laughs) tuba player see those tuba players (laughs) No, true story. Like, here's the difference between a first and second violinist. I had explained that to a student like a couple weeks ago. I was like, why did you give the second violinist the melody? She's like, oh, I think they deserve the melody. I'm like, they won't know what to do. Yep. They'll be very confused. (laughs) 
they'll be like, why, why us? Why? I'd be like, they've lived in the feudal system for so long. They just yeah. won't know what to do. So don't do that to them. Like, like just giving make it to it, the viola. Yeah. It's not this like, I want to break free. <laughs> like, everyone I was like, I understand role. this. And I said, and you're a pianist. And I used to be a pianist. So hear me out. String players are different. First and second violins are cloned differently. <laughs> I'm passing that information from my former orchestration professor. They are just genetically different. <laughs> and we need both of them. <laughs> we do to make the orchestra go round. We really do. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Jennifer Jolly, for being here. It's been a great pleasure to have you on. Um, you're a wonderful inspiration, and uh, it's been great talking to you. You're so easy to chat with. So thank you so much for being here on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at Sounds of the world podcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>